0: Don't you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. I'm preaching a series of messages on revival, a series of messages on revival, and I want you to turn with me today to Luke 15. You'll say, this is a familiar passage, and it is. I mean, I had four outlines already clicking through my head. In just a moment, I could preach a series on Luke 15, but... Today I am talking about one particular thing I want to bring our hearts to. You remember Psalm eighty-five six is our theme for this revival series. You remember what the scripture says? Let's just read it together so we're not mess it up. All right, y'all, y'all got to open your Bibles to put Psalm eighty-five six. Okay, you got it. Listen, to what it says: "Wilt thou not revive us again?" Now listen, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Let me read that verse again. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Now that's our series text. And today I have one particular thing before I finish. I want to bring us to And today in Luke chapter 15, I want to begin reading in verse number 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and killeth. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's bow our heads as we ask God to help us today. Father, there's, um, I know every time we meet, there's something you want to do, and you want to do it in a special way. So I'm asking today that that'll happen here. I pray it'll not be quenched. It'll not be hindered. I pray, God, it will not be grieved. I pray you will not be hurt in any way but the Holy Spirit will be received in what you're saying to us. And God, I pray you'll protect us. Don't let the devil who's already probably sitting on somebody's shoulders, God, would you tell him for just a little while to leave us alone and let us get God's business done. And I know he only leaves us for a little season, but God, let him leave right now for a little season that we might have a revival spirit break loose at Hillcrest Baptist Church. We love you, and we appreciate the very fact that we can't expect a revival because we have had one and seen one, and the Bible is full of them, and so we can believe that you can still send revival. So I pray to where it's in our church, to where it's in our community. We hope it winds up in our state, but wherever it spreads, we thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. There's four, or three stories, actually four stories in Luke chapter uh, 15. All of them are connected, and all of them teach a main lesson. Here, the lesson is, later on, I will give you what leads up to that lesson. Before I do, I want to talk to you just a bit about revival, Because our young adults and our young people and even some of you median age adults have have never ever really been in a spirit of Holy Ghost revival. And so I want to explain a few things. There's been revivals that's kept this country afloat. Every time we was about to sink, God sent a revival. Now, we may have went too far this time. We might just get a, uh, we might just have some little life jackets thrown to us. That might be, uh, some of us may get some of those. But the truth of the matter is, God has sent revival to this country. Here's how I like to explain revival. It is spiritual momentum that carries us higher, further, and greater than we ever imagined. Not that we strain to have it. But it is a God-oiled gift that comes to us. In other words, it's like when I played sports, it would be like uh, as we talk about people today that play sports, they're playing beyond themselves. I can remember w- one game, I struck out every batter. I only pitched one year, my senior year. I struck out every batter I faced that day. You say, you you're a good pitcher. Nope, nope, I wasn't that good a pitcher. I wasn't but five foot five. You can't got much alarm when you're five foot five, you know? And so, I had to jump up and throw it, so I looked a little taller. So, I struck out every bat. You know why? Because that day I knew it. I knew it. I was playing beyond myself. You ever been there? You watch a basketball player sometimes and and they're not really that good. But all of a sudden they break loose and they play way beyond themselves. Last year during our Bible conference on Thursday morning, I've heard every one of those preachers preach many times. They're my friends. I thank God for them. But I'm telling you, every one of them preach beyond themselves. And that's what I think revival is. When things get loose at Hillcrest and we start living and we start working and we start witnessing and we start giving and we start growing beyond ourselves. I think that's what... I think that's what God is teaching us here. Do you know, the historian J.C. Ryle says this. He said during the great awakening of the 18th century, which basically saved our country, this is what he says. Here's what the preachers preach. Number one, they preach the supremacy of the Holy Scripture. Number two, they preach the total corruption of the human nature. Wouldn't that tick off everybody today? Number three, they taught that Christ's death on the cross was the only satisfaction for man's sins. Number four, they they preached the doctrine of justification by faith and faith alone. Number five, they taught the universal necessity of heart conversion and a new creation by the Holy Spirit. Number six, they spoke of God's eternal hatred against sin and his wonderful love for sinners. And number seven, they preached. Now listen, get this one. They preached that there was an inseparable connection between true faith and personal holiness. They never allowed for a moment that any church membership or religious profession was the least proof of a man being a Christian if he lived an ungodly life. I like that, don't you? Yeah. That is what happened. That's the preaching you got everywhere. You can just get somewhere. you got it everywhere. They preached that kind of preaching. Now we buffet it. Pick what you want. Get it simple. Get it plain. Get it easy. Get it hard. Get it middle way or whatever. You get it. You just pick it. But then God sent revival because everywhere they went, they were preaching the same thing. And so I don't know that, though a comedian, he wasn't too nice a guy in a lot of areas, but he did say one classical statement. He said, "If we don't change direction soon, we'll end up where we're going." Amen. <laughs> I agree with that. If we don't change direction soon, we'll end up where we're going. But here's my fear today. I fear there's some folks that really don't. Even maybe care what I'm talking about, or don't understand it, don't want to understand it, or don't expect it to happen at all. In fact, it is beyond the reach of their minds, of their dreams. Dr. Paul Powell, he used to write sermon books to help young preachers, and he he died last year, I believe it was, or about maybe about three, four years ago, and he had been married 53 years, and. He looked at his wife and he said, honey, he said, um, did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that you'd be married to me for 53 years? She said, Paul, you were never in my wildest dreams. Amen. <laughs> some, some of us have got our dreams messed up. Amen. Listen, if revival's not in your wildest dreams, we'll never have it. If we can't say, yes, God, let us go beyond ourselves. That way, who gets the credit? He does, because nobody knows we can. If you'll notice that many times in us, and especially athletics, when somebody plays beyond themselves and they get the feeling real good and how, how, how good they are the next game. They come and they can't get anybody out and they, and they can't hit the ball and they can't score and they get, can't run the ball. They can't do anything that they did before because God humbles them. See, God wants everybody to see the reason we can do what we can do. It's beyond ourselves, And that's what I hope you'll see today. There was a guy who was kind of, Uh, teaching this class on dating to the bunch of um, high school students who really was bashful, shy, didn't know how to approach girls and didn't know all that stuff. And so he started around the room and he asked one girl and she was a living doll. I mean, she was sharp. And uh, he said, what kind of boys do you like? She said, I like Indian boys because they have such a survival skill. Then she said, I like Jewish boys because of their conscientiousness toward God's word. And then she said, I like southern boys because they're rugged, tough, and plain. So they went around the room, everybody giving a description, but he kept his eye on that girl, and it come to him, he said, now son, he says, uh, what, what, what is your name? He said, well, my name is Geronimo Goldstein, but my friends call me Bubba. So so today, let's call it like God calls it, okay? Let's just call it like God calls it and let it come be our wildest dream, beyond our wildest dreams, what God could do in our church. And so in Luke 15, let's look at it. The story of the prodigal son may be the greatest short story ever told. It's the parable of the lost son, it's the story of somebody, it's the story of everybody. It is the story of of us all and the storyteller of course was the Lord Jesus. It's also story of the real world family where a child grows up and becomes a rebel. We see them in those little pages of inserts of our our photo albums of the past, and we see them with their school pictures, and we see them with their braces on, and, and we see them with their little trophies, and they look so good, but then they grow up, and they begun to break our heart. The braces are not there anymore. The innocence, he's not there anymore. They have become a rebel and we walk into the grocery store. We look on the back of the, of the cartons of milk and all kinds of things today. And there's a picture that once had her little braces on. That once was a sweet, precious little girl. And now nobody knows where she is. And something's happened to her. She's run away. And today, that's most of us spiritually, that's what happened, isn't it? There was a day when we were pretty innocent. There was a day, I, I, I guess we could all... Pop some pictures up when we were little, little babies and, and little kids, and, and we were just innocent. But there come a day when many of us became rebels. In fact, I think all of us were some kind of rebel. Amen. And so let's look at this story as we see the sinfulness of the son, uh, the sinlessness of the son, and the specialness of the father. Those two things are specially lost in this, uh, uh, buried in this text. There's four lost things, but there's one common denominator. I want you to remember that all the way to the end of his sermon. Can you stay awake that long? All right. What about you up there? You all awake? Okay. You got to stay awake to the end to get to the one common denominator of all four of these lost things. The rebellion of the son in verse number 12. First of all, we see his desire. Jewish law stated that the other son or the older son would get two-thirds of the father's estate. The younger son would get a third. That was in Deuteronomy 21, 17. So he knew he was going to have one-third of his father, who obviously was wealthy. He would get one-third of that estate. He could take it now or he could take it later. He chose to take it now. His father did not necessarily have to do that, but he chose to let him go. It would be settled at the father's death or at retirement, but he didn't want to wait that long. He basically said, oh, man, I wish you were dead. Give me my money now drop dead old man i don't care what you got to say i don't want to hear what you got to say i want my money now i want to do what i want to do i want to live as i please i want to be like burger king i want to have it my way if they don't up their hamburgers ain't nobody gonna eat their way amen And I'm telling you, that's what this boy was. Uh, He said, I don't want to live like you live. I don't want to worship like you worship. I don't want to serve like you serve. I want to do it my way. That's called rebellion at its highest. He dropped dead, Daddy. You get on my nerves. You're bugging me. You're cramping my style. You're hampering my life. As soon as I can, I'm out of here. So, He didn't like the father's discipline and he didn't like the restrictions and he didn't like the restraints. He was tired of hearing his father say no and he thought he could leave and he'd be free. Some of you were like that. I was like that. In fact, just leave, I'll be free. I'll be free. I'll have no curfew. I'll have no rules. It'll be all my way. Now, I had to slip around and get this done because according to Deuteronomy, if the people in the city and the judges at the gate knew what this boy was doing, the father would have had no choice but to have let them stoned him to death. And after they stoned him to death, hung him up in the middle of a city to let us know what happens when you become a rebel. And so that's why the Bible says, or, or at least implies, that he kind of slipped off in the night with the money that he'd gotten and he eased off as a rebel and run away from his father. It may encourage you to know that God has never been pleased with rebellion. You say, well, I'm going to tell you something. I've got, I've got th- three, four, six, 12 good kids and they've never done anything wrong. I'm going to tell you something. You're dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, that's just not the way it works. They, they are a rebel somewhere. You can't see it. You can't see it. I, I, it's, a, it's a bit like the little boy. He was standing in the, the woman, the teacher said, you're in trouble. I want you to go put your nose in the corner. He said, I don't want to put your nose in the corner. So he goes over there. She looks over there. He's sitting in a chair. She said, I told you, put your nose in the corner. He said, I'll put my nose in the corner, but bottom bottom's sitting down. Amen. You see, in his heart, he didn't have that discipline at all. What we think in our hearts can be rebellious without it showing outside. So he did everything for a while, and so now he's up and he's gone. Dealing with rebellion is ugly. So let's look at the second thing, his rebellious destination. Look where he went, the far country, anywhere to get away from God any way to get away from mom and daddy, any way to get away from all those believing servants that he had there working, anywhere to get away. He goes to the far country. You say, how far is it? Well, I can tell you how far it was for me, one step. Listen, folks, if you get one step away from God, you're in the far country because before long, it would be another one, another one, and another one, and another one unless you get the common denominator of our text. Today, rebellious destination. Don't you notice the second thing? The release of the father. Here the father decides to allow his son to leave. So a few days later, he gathers up his belongings, split for the far country, thinking I'll never come back again. I'm free at last. Free at last. Free at last. That's what he said. Not easy to let them go and rebellious spirits, your own child. But there comes a time when we must withdraw all support from them and let them leave. Y'all hearing me? You keep bailing them out of jail and you keep bailing them out of trouble and you keep bailing them out of, out of all kinds of suspensions and you keep bailing them out of every trouble they get to, they'll stay a rebel and die in hell. You're not helping them, you're hurting them. I know we can get, go along. We're long suffering with our kids, and we ought to go far with them as long as we can. But there comes a point where God says, let them go. And you'll notice this father didn't go after him. He didn't go after him. You see, there is no let me tell you something. If you want to be a rebel, and some of you have been, like uh, all of you, I think, have been, if, and if you're here today and you are a rebel, let me tell you what, there is not one promise God gives to you except the fact that you are destined for misery. Yeah, right. Nothing else. You can't claim anything else, no matter what kind of trouble you get into. But the father couldn't let the rebel ruin the whole home, so he had to let him go. You see, you've got more to think about than just that rebel. You see, he gets all the attention or she gets all the attention, and here you've got other children in the home, and you've got a wife in the home, and you've got a husband in the home, and here's a home that's godly, but you've got one rebel in it, and there comes a point to where you're not going to ruin this house. You're not messing up our godly home out of here. And that's what he did. That's what he did. So he's a rebel. Third thing, don't you notice the recklessness of sin? Verse 13 through 16 you see, out of sight, out of mind, he thought. And I can just get away from it. you know, I'll be okay. He had it up to his ears with all those restrictions, and so now he's going to live it up. So he got his own uh, apartment, and he bought his own duds. He bought some of them skinny breeches, and he bought him some of them breeches that looked like a tribe of midgets moved out of the butt of them, and... Uh He got some tattoos run up and down his arm and some that run up to his chin because he wants everybody to see he's tattooed up and he's got him some studs here and some studs there and he's even got a a, a chrome wheel stuck in his ear. (laughs) Son, he's living her up. He's having a good time. I'll meet my own friends now. I won't have to have my daddy's friends. I'll meet my own friends. I'll make my own friends. What a fool. And we've done the same thing, haven't we, many times. He said, I'll listen to what I want to listen to. I'm not going to listen to that godly music. I'm going to listen to his ungodly music. He went where he pleased, came when he pleased. That's the recklessness of sin. But they, we use the word prodigal. You know what that term means? It means wasteful. In other words, when he got into sin, he lived a life of waste. Verse 13 can show you that. He lived a life of waste. He wasted his life in riotous. That means excessiveness, excessive sinful living. This stowed his life away. He forgot the Lord's tithe. That was not a part of it anymore. He forgot his mother's birthday. He forgot his father's farm. He forgot his co- bro- his college tuition. He forgot his brother's graduation. He forgot about all the bills it was going to come due and he Did his thing, he wasted his life. Secondly, he not only had a life of waste, but had a life of want. Look in verse 14. Sin's expensive. I mean, it costs a lot of sin because you know the old saying it costs you more than you can pay and it will leave you wanting. A famine came, hard times hit, jobs got scarce, there wasn't an election in sight. So, what are we going to do? See, sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. So, it was a life of want. He fell on hard times. Well, I just can't hardly stand to see him like that. Oh, you didn't see him two weeks ago with those needles stuck in their arms. You didn't see them a few weeks ago with a case of beer in the back of their back seat of their car and four of them cursing, taking God's name in vain. But now you can't stand to see them like that. Listen, if you don't let them go to the bottom, they'll never rise to the top. And that's what this man said here. He had a life of want. He fell on hard times. He forgot that God's a giver and the devil is a taker. Can I get an amen? God is a giver. God gives who takes the devil. He not only takes, he steals. Thank God God's a giver, but he forgot that, how he had sunk. For a Jewish boy to feed pigs was like a opening a porno shop or He was glued to that low life job that no Jewish boy would do. His self-esteem was shot and gone. His conscience has become seared. You can sink to a place to where you'll submit to anyone, to where you'll eat anything, to where you'll sleep anywhere or sleep with anyone, and you'll live anyway when you fall on hard times. There been a day when you said, I'd never do that. Yes, you'll wind up doing it. Yes, the nastiest filthy old houses where you go to buy your stuff. Nasty, na- nasty old boy that you said you'd never, ever, ever, ever be immoral with, but you were. You said, I'll never be in some kind of business that would disgrace God. And there you are selling liquor somewhere. Are cheating people in your business? Mm. It's a pig pen down there. When you take one step away from God, you're in the far country. Now look at the fourth thing. Look at the return of the sun. Now we're starting to hit revival here. Y'all ready? I'm giving you plenty of time. that I'm start? We're starting to hit revival right now. Suddenly he looks around and realizes no one else cared like for him like his daddy did. Suddenly, he began to think about home. He said, I, 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 he sat down here. None of these people give a rip about me. The banker don't care about me. The, the businessmen in these town don't care about me. None of my friends care about me now because all my money's gone. Those girls who used to chase me, they don't care about me now. Nobody cares about me now, but I know one who still cares about me. My father does my father does he began to remember notice what what the Bible said he came to himself did you know how the will of God is a form of insanity it'll cause you to do insane things I know today we're seeing things we thought we'd never ever see in our life before and you say I just don't see how people can do that I can insanity because they were rebels that bunch of feminists and marched in the street. If you set them down and said, Give me your philosophy, they don't have one. They're insane. They're crazy. I think they'll take a fire hose to every one of them, spray up them up against the walls, and then put handcuffs on every one of them, drag them to jail, all in a line. And whoever's on the back one, he'd really get it. Amen. But you you see, you do some crazy things. You can do some crazy. That's why you have to come home and say, Mom, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm expected. Why'd you do that? Crazy. You were taught not to do it. You were shown not to do it. You were told not to do it. God even said, please don't do it, but you did it anyway. My son or my daughter never do that, but they do it. You say, why? Because getting out of the will of God is a form of insanity. When he come to himself, means when he come to his senses. He had not been himself. Living in sin, you're not yourself. That's not what God made you to do. He made you for his glory. Not to live in a pig pen. And notice, not only did he come to himself, but he came to his home. Notice he went back to his father. Parents is the most important thing in the home. Not the things parents get the kids, but the parents is the most important thing in your house. Now I'm gonna say that again because you didn't get it. On about twelve amens. The most important thing in your home is you. They know you care. They know you love them. They know you are good to them. They know you gave them all those things, but none of those things helps when you're in the pig pen. And so he didn't come home with his live in girlfriend. Did you notice that? No, he didn't come home with his dirty language. Did you notice that? He didn't come home with beer stuck under his seat. He didn't bring home any of his pig ways. You know why? Because pigs don't like clean sheets. No, they don't do it. Dogs, you can go wash a dog. And I've proved it before on many occasions. You can go wash your dog if he's outside in the summertime. And so you think, well, I'll just wash my dog off here and get him cleaned up, looking pretty, and brush him down, you know. And he'll stand right there and let because he likes that water running over him in the hot Summer times, he like cool water runs on him. He'll stand right there and let you wash him and scrub him up real good. And you'll think, man, he looks really good. And then, and then you'll turn him loose, and he will not go to the thickest grass and roll. He'll go to the dirtiest spot in the yard and roll. And he'll come back dirtier than he was before. Y'all hear me? And you see, you, if you want to come back to daddy, you got to leave your pig pen way. Mm. But look, look, look here. Look at the father looking. His father saw. Never passed the day I believe that that old man didn't look up. I hope my son comes home today. I hope my boy comes home today. I don't know if was the father looking, but the father was longing. He had compassion and he ran. And in that day for a senior adult to run was considered disgraceful. And he said, I don't care what people think. My boy's coming home. He had been longing for him. Friend, I want to tell you, you've got a father in heaven that's looking at you and looking over you and looking for you. And you've got a father that is longing for you to come home. But I want you also to know you have a father that's loving you. The Bible said he kissed him. Oh, oh, how he wanted this day to come. Perhaps that old boy looked at his pig master. He said, I tell you what, old boy, you just keep this old pail, this old nasty slop bucket. I'm going home. You don't care nothing about me. Nobody else down here cares anything about me. I'm wasting and throwing away everything I got. What a fool I am. I'm going home. And he pulled his nasty feet out of that pig pen and he heads down toward his daddy's house, stinking and smelling and, and, and the awful looking sight you'd ever seen, the hair matted. And he was a mess, but the father kissed him. So you not only have a father looking for you and longing for you, but you have a father that's loving you. The way down was so quick. You can go down real quick, but it's a lot harder to come up. So when he ran, he saw his love. When he fell on his neck, he was saying, The law says stone you, but you've come home to repent, and I'm not going to let you be stoned. Y'all go get something right click and put a white robe around him so no one will see what he looks like. Put some shoes on his feet so nobody knows where he's been and put a ring on his finger so they'll know he's my esteemed son. That's what they did. And there's the last thing that was rejoicing. 23 and 24, look what it says. They begin to make merry. Twice, it says, they begin to make Mary. All right? Listen to me, and I'll be through. I want to bring to you the common denominator of all of Luke 15. All four stories are connected. They're teaching about lost things. Number one, here's what it's teaching you. God will never lose what is his. You see, his purpose for coming after us is restoration. His purpose for us is restoration. So God will never lose what is his. That's why he went and he left the 99 and went and put that little sheep on his shoulder. Because God will never lose what's his. And his purpose for going after that sheep was not to roast it and eat it. His purpose was restoration. Number two, his passion is reconciliation. God will make every effort to retrieve them. We see the shepherd going everywhere looking for that lost sheep. You see, these are not lost sheep going to hell although it can refer to that this is a a dual parable that he gave it's not lost sheep going to hell but they're lost on earth no good to god lost on earth so his passion is reconciliation they were not lost to hell but lost to earth have you ever been there so his retrieval shows his long-suffering and love. Number three, his people is in celebration. Now, here's, where, here, here's, here's what I want to show you. All four of these parables say that his people, when the lost one was found, was in celebration. That's what connects these four They all celebrated. The poor widow celebrated that she found her lost coin. And the good shepherd celebrated that he found the lost sheep. And the good father celebrated that he found the lost son. Celebrated. How do you sit there on Sunday morning like you do? Verse 7 says they did it. Verse 10 says they did it. Verse 24 says they did it. And so, well, you don't want to get too carried away. Well, some of you hadn't got one thing to worry about. I hadn't seen you carried away. The only time you're going to get carried away is at the rapture if you're saved. Because you don't get carried away in his worship. Our spirit ought to rejoice in the Lord when the lost thing is found. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. I believe it has to do all with lost people. Well, since you said that, let me just show you something. Thank you for asking that question. James chapter 5, verse 19 says this. Brethren, what are you? Brethren, okay? If any of you, brethren, do err from the truth and one, convert him. That means bring him back in reconciliation, restore him Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. imagine what one backslider in this church right now is causing. One. And you pile us all together. Look what we got. We got pounds and pounds of flesh that's ruining the place that God set aside for him. So he was looking for lost things. Rejoicing had nothing to do. Here's the second thing that brings us to the fact of the thing that connects it, rejoicing. There's not one way that they could rejoice without doing one thing, okay? The rejoicing connects all four of these stories, but there's one thing they had to do to get to the rejoicing. All four of these stories, every one of them, the lost sheep, lost son, the lost coin, they had to repent. And the Bible said that they get all upset and up excited and happy and having spells in heaven when one, when just one, uh, that's what he says back in Luke 15. I'm not messing with you. I'm just telling you the truth. Look at verse 7. I say unto you, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. When here's a man that is either lost in sin and gets saved or here's a backslider if it comes back to God, heaven goes crazy in praise. Oh, you say that's the angels. No, it's not the angels. The angels don't even understand it. How can they do it? They don't even understand it. All they're doing is praising the Lord, glorifying the Lord. But they can't understand why we get excited when somebody comes home. So you want to tie these together, repent. And I found out that's the reason we can't have revival. Because no matter what we say with our mouths and no matter how we attend church and no matter what we do and serve, in our heart we say, I may be standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. So if you want to celebrate, if you want to celebrate the lost ones coming, if you want to see the lost ones coming home, you'll repent. Say, repent of what? You, you and got to deal with that. Hey, that's not for me. You ain't God do with that. I, I could name thousands of sins right here, right now. Most of them I've committed, I guess, somewhere. But you get yours. The area you need to repent. Hey, 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 pig man. Hey, pig lady. You ain't waddling in the pig pen because you've gotten away from God. You think you look good on the outside, but inside you stink to God. Repent, and you know what it is. I don't. Hey, lost man, lost woman, lost girl, lost boy. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost. You'll never find your way until you come home to Jesus. It takes humility to repent, and that's why we don't do it. We're so stinking prideful. It takes sensitivity to repent. When I get away from God, God God gets me. Does he get you? God gets me. He taps me on the shoulder real hard. And with my sore shoulder, he hits it. So I'm telling you, you better get back right. He said, well, I never had that. Then you better get saved. But it'll also create unity. It'll take the one who's gone and put him back where they gather together. How can you say you love the church of Jesus Christ and you just come half the time? Something wrong with that. Because you can never celebrate something lost until you repent of what you've done. Then it will restore your testimony. (laughs) From now on, that old boy could go out and he could see somebody slipping away and he could say, "Wait wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got something I need to tell you. I need to give you my testimony. And his testimony was restored. You see, when you find somebody that's saved and they're lost, they tell us that the shepherd, when he went to get that lost sheep that had wandered away, not, not the one who had rebelled and went away, but the one who just kind of wandered away, then found himself wrong, didn't know how to find himself back, all messed up, and the shepherd had to reach out there and catch him before he killed his fool self, and he took his leg and broke his leg. And he put him, that's why he puts him on his shoulders, because he can't walk. And you can't ever start walking until you come to Jesus. And you won't ever come to Jesus until you walk down an aisle or get down on your knees in your home or somewhere. You've got to take a walk because God wants people to do what they do publicly. So he breaks her leg, puts him on his shoulders, brings him back home. And when we find one lost that comes home, they were going to require more care than the other 99. Why? Because they got a broke leg. Somebody's got to help them. Somebody's got to slow down for them. Somebody's got to work with them. Somebody's got to help them as that leg heals. Y'all get what I'm saying? When somebody gets saved today, they're not going to be a 10 year mature Christian, they're going to be a baby. And they're going to need a lot of care.